You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Hello and welcome to Your Queer Story. This episode is brought to you by Cumberland Farms Hot Dogs. Because Ooh. that's what Evan's eating today. You like a nice, thick piece of meat in your mouth. But it's not even stick thick. stick that in there. It is thick. In it's what juicy. World? This is thick and juicy. Look at that. Look no. at the juice on it that It looks thing. terrible. <laughs> it looks delicious. But in reality, this episode is actually brought to you by our patrons, especially Tickle.Life and The Night's Wishing Well by Michael Finlange. Which Tickle.Life has dropped, so you can get on there now. You can check it out, and you can be with a community of other like-minded kink. It's like a all-inclusive sexuality kind of yeah. open discussion. Yeah, you can explore all. You can explore your fetishes, your um, your sexual ideas, um, and you can do it all with the safety of remaining anonymous. There's no way for you to contact each other in real life, so you could just. Let your freak flag fly. Right, and it's in groups too, so it's not like it's not one-on-one conversations. You're in a group of people who share the same interests as you, so it can't turn into some creepy, like stalkery thing or like even a hookup app. I mean, unless the whole group decides to hook up. But yes, I mean, <laughs> but you guys have to work really hard, and you know what? There's a lot of hookup apps out there. We need something different and innovative, and that's what Tickle Life is all about. Absolutely. So. so Go check them out at tickle.life. Nope, tickle.life. That's the whole website. Tickle.life. Tickle period life. Tickle period life. Yep. All right, put that in your computers now. And remember, Christmas is right around the corner, so get that night's wishing well. By the way, did you hear about the guy that was burning the children's books because they did a drag story hour? Oh, and so I he was, didn't. He was burning books by queer authors and about like queer fairy tales and such. Um, I can't remember what state it was in. So we need a few more of them in the world. So make that purchase. It's $6. Your child, straight or queer, will love it. You'll love it. And it makes an incredible stocking stuffer because Mm -hmm. it will fit in the stocking. It's the perfect size. Or buy it and donate it to your local library so that they can read it for their drag story hour. And so that little children who are curious or maybe feel a little different have something to check out. And, you know, it, it might influence them and give them a better life. Exactly. So... Thank you to all those Patreon supporters, and thank you to all the rest of our Patreon supporters, especially for hanging on, as it has been a rough last month. We have had one thing after another, and we have not been able to produce the content that we want, but we are back, and we are devoted and committed to you. This is a committed relationship. Absolutely. So. Um, thank you, everyone, who has reached out and um, kind of 
um, spread their love for me and the recent loss of my grandfather. I really appreciate that. So I do want to dedicate this episode to him um, as a thank you for letting me be who I want to be and always encouraging me to be as weird and goofy and quirky as I wanted to be. That's good. That's yeah, cute, right? Yeah. Thank you, everyone who commented and uh, gave nice, uh, kind words and for being patient and understanding as we took a break. Um, also, we appreciate all of you. If you have been following us on face- on social media, I also almost said on facial media, one day, one day. That's a new porn website. A facial media. Facialmedia.com. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so those of you who have been following us on social media, uh, you are aware that we are helping to organize a rally for transgender rights in Rhode Island, in Providence, on November 3rd. So if you live in or around the state, I know that um, by the time this episode drops, there will be a couple different areas, actually several areas, have been having um, rallies over the weekend in support of transgender rights, which we're going to talk about in our bonus episode, so check that out. And if you know of any rallies going on, or if you pl- are planning any rallies, let us know because we will share your rally. We want yeah. as many people to know what's going on as possible. Yeah, contact us and we'll, we'll put it out there. Um, but yeah, but ours is on November 3rd in Providence, uh, right and down in front of the uh, the state house, eleven to one. Oh, from eleven a.m. to one. There's also going to be some booths set up along the edges with resources. If you have more questions about what all this means, so come check that out. Whether you are a transgender individual, a queer individual, or just an ally, we would love to have you there. Have your voice. We've got some good speakers lined up, and we're also going to have a portion that's an open mic, so other people in the community have a chance to speak yes absolutely so we've been busy so all that to say what did you do this week i let's see i went to a drag show surprise 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 oh my god in newport a halloween dance party and your life is just one long drag it really is no it doesn't that's the life of being a drag husband (laughs) um but we went it was in newport that was a lot of fun we danced until 1 a.m and then went to bed and woke up and then my boyfriend went to a drag show. Well, he is a drag queen, so he went to perform. And I took the night off because I needed a break. <laughs> um, and then um, went to his brother's birthday party. He turned 15, so that Aww. was pretty fun. Which Wait, which one is this? Jordan. Oh, my God. Yeah. When oh, I, my God. When I met Jordan, he was like 10. So. <laughs> it's like, it's so weird. Yeah. He was like 10 when I met him, so this is like the fuck. He's a big boy. Wow. Um, what else? Did some yard work, put all, put like my, you know, our outside, our um, patio set away and mm-hmm. did one last like mow and then raked and stuff like that. So just a lot after being back from my, Indiana. you know, from Chicago, Indiana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you? <laughs> no, just... Is that hot dog good? Your face is covered in mustard right now. <laughs> it mouth... goes in the mouth unless you're like trying to save it for later. It's so big. It's mm. really not. Mm. You just... Have small holes. <laughs> I have small holes. I do have very small holes. Mm. I've been trying to cram things in my holes for the longest time. This is why I can never run for president. You know what? No. You know what Trump taught us? He taught us that anybody can be president. That's true. So if you're thinking, I have a past that's just too dirty and too bad to ever be president, no. Look at that man. He is your inspiration. <laughs> um, so I spent the week... Um, Oh my god. Fucking like 
You spent the week fucking? <laughs> no, I wish. No, I spent... I, like, there is no sleep until the election. I keep saying that to Samantha, and she's like, if you say that to me one more fucking time. But there's no sleep until the election. So Saturday, I went out canvassing for the Democrats, which it was pouring rain. And when we started canvassing... I, it was like just drizzling a little and I'm like, that's okay. We're going to get, we'll get a couple neighborhoods in before we have to go back and then we can phone bank the rest of the time. So we start going, starts raining a little harder, a little harder, which all, by the way, all these motherfuckers hiding in your house, you little cowards. I hide in my house from people knocking. Just go to the door. Just go to the door. When I first got back from Indiana and I was like doing my yoga, I heard a knock on the door. So I, I like paused the video and right. then I peeked out the window and saw it was somebody, so I like put the window back. I can down. see that. That's the thing. You can no, see it. I go from a different, like I go from an obscure window and look. No, no. Let me. T- I walk up to these houses. All the lights are on. There's like five cars in the driveway. You can hear music inside, and you knock on the door, and then everything goes quiet. And you're like, just knock again, and <laughs> nobody's here. Oh, yeah, that's what, exactly what I do. Yeah. So, anyways, but. So I'm, we're not getting, so it's starting to rain harder. So then we get down and we, one of our neighbor's hoods was down by the bay and now it is pouring raining, like a torrential downpour, which I should have immediately been like, let's go back. But no, I'm proud. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to go. We're going to knock on these doors. We're going to get these people to vote for the Democrats. So you're sopping wet. <laughs> I am like... sopping wet to where like the water is running down my face to where like when you talk, you spit water because it's like just running. I cannot see in front of me. And these flyers that I have are drenched. And I'm holding these drenched flyers out to people like, you're going to vote for the Democrats on November 6th. And they are, they're looking at me, not with sympathy, but just like, you're an idiot. Why are you doing this? And so finally, um, and then there was a, there was a hole in my shoe. And so like my socks were sopping wet and I, every inch of me was wet. And so finally we went back and we just phone banked. So lesson is. You can call on the phones. Oh, what I like is they have texting now. I prefer that, but apparently some people hate the texting. Really? Yeah. Well, I would be annoyed if I got a text from a random number. I'd be like, who are you and why are you texting Just me? hit delete. It's just a text. You don't have to answer it. But I don't know it's you. Why, why do you have my number and why are you texting me? Because I'm trying to get you to vote on November 6th. It's important. Yeah, but don't text me. Oh, I'm going to report you as spam if you ever text me. Oh, I, people get very aggressive over the texting. That's the easiest one. Because if you call someone or you go to their door, they're usually not going to be an asshole. But on texting, people will be an asshole to you. Do you text from the computer or from like your personal phone? There's a there's a couple different programs. You use your phone, but it routes through a computer. Okay, so gotcha. they don't, like you don't have their number. They don't have your number, you know. So, yeah, it's good sense. stuff. Good stuff. So all that, that's what I've been working on. That's what I'll still be working on. Um, we do want to remind you, in case you missed it in this my last rant, like two seconds ago, November 6th is the election, and this is dropping like the week before the election. So please go out and vote. Um, figure out now, where is your polling station? Look it up on your phone sometime this week. Where is your po- polling station? What time are you able to vote? In Rhode Island, you can vote from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. So what time are you going to get to the polls? And how are you going to get there? Are you going to take a bus? Are you going to ride a bike? Are you going to carpool with a friend? You need to figure this stuff out now so that there is no reason why you do not go to the vote. Because you know why Trump won the election? It wasn't because the Republicans and it wasn't because of the Democrats. It was because of all the people who did not fucking vote. So if you didn't vote, you voted for Trump. Okay? And if the Republicans stay in charge of the Senate and the House, 
This is very important. <laughs> that was my lead. If the Republicans stay in charge of the Senate and the House, it is because you didn't vote. That's yeah. what I have to say. Okay. Got all that off my chest. Good. This is what I wanted to say to people when I was canvassing, but you can't do that. They would have been like, listen, sir, <laughs> I'm like, going to need you to leave. With water dripping down my face. <laughs> I'm going to need you to leave. Or I'm calling the police for like aggravated assault. I don't know. You're getting crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a sopping <laughs> wet man. I think it's a man standing outside my house. <laughs> he's getting a little crazy. Um, he's smashing the car. Tell me I I didn't vote, so I'm an asshole. Yeah. Somebody left their little kid to run around the neighborhood. <laughs> and You're all a four foot nothing, so. I am five foot one. Really? You sound so shy. I am. I really thought you were like four foot five. I am five foot one, you asshole. <laughs> well. Okay. I would have never known. Mm. I also would have been very bad, like, if I was ever at work and I got robbed, they would have been like, how tall was he? I would have been like, I don't know, probably like five foot. He's actually like seven foot tall. Like, <laughs> he was eight and a half feet. Eight and a half feet. Seemed like it. <laughs> really four foot seven. <laughs> I'm just really bad at, like, guesstimating things. I am horrible. I have always been bad. That's People... why you can't make drinks well, because no. you can't guesstimate a shot size. I don't know how much a shot's supposed to be. I pour half the glass of alcohol, and I'm like, this is probably how much they use. Have you ever seen a shot glass? No. You just well, yeah. I d- you know what? I never put two and two together that like a shot glass has a shot that <laughs> that's how much you... I don't know. I always thought like when you make a drink, you make it like strong, because it's a drink, uh-huh. so I always put like half the glass of vodka, and then I don't know why I'm shit-faced in 30 minutes. Mm, no idea. No. Nope. Yeah. But that's what happens when you're from Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just made everything in our life on Indiana. <laughs> I don't know why. Everything. I don't know. I'm from Indiana. I do, though. <laughs> I do. Whatever the issue is, why are you gay? I don't know. I'm from Indiana. No, so actually, while I was with family, mm-hmm. have you ever heard the story of when I was, I was like one or two, I was in a walker, mm-hmm. and my aunt left the door to the downstairs open. Yeah. So I was in my walker, and I like walked down the stairs. Obviously, when you're a baby and you go down the stairs in a walker, you're just going to fall straight down. And, and I smacked my head on a concrete ground. Uh, and I had, like, a skull fracture. So, while I was visiting my family uh, this last weekend, sometime, I don't know what time it is, yeah. um, I went to my aunt, and I'm like, hey, remember when you threw me down the stairs when I was a baby? That's why I'm gay. Oh. <laughs> and everybody laughed. I mean, it's funny. It's funny, except for your aunt probably really is sad that she did No, that. she feels so bad about it, but I bring it up every time I see her. I'm like, remember when you threw me down the stairs, Tammy? That's and her son fucks with her? <laughs> <laughs> That's why, folks. So now you know. We've solved the reason mm-hmm. of why people are gay. I don't know what yeah. I... Did I ever hit my head? I never hit my head. I mean, I'm sure I'm I hit sure my head. I'm sure you've hit your head I'm sure I hit my head, head, but I can't remember, uh, like, a time. Although I do remember in high school getting tackled by this girl, and she was, like, beating my face <laughs> into the was ground. Was this that game you guys played? The, the Red game. Rover or whatever? It wasn't Red Rover, but it's, like, a gro- very grown-up, aggressive version of Red Rover. So when Evan was in school, they used to have, like, once a year... Right when they got back from summer break, right? Yep. They had this big, like, sports thing. And it wasn't really sports. It was basically, like, they let the kids beat the shit out of each other. Yep. Like, literally, like, broken bones, mm-hmm. fucking beating each other. And their excuse was, like, this is how you get your anger out before you start the school year. That's right. You gotta get... It was called school camp. And we would go away to a camp for a week. And the morning would be classes from, like, 8 to noon. And then from noon to, like, 5, we would just have these really 
in vicious. It games. was like the Hunger Games. It was. Like, they would like, literally beat it. Like you had to sign a waiver as a parent, and then being like, like, if my kid dies, it's like I am signing this waiver, so it's okay. Yeah, like every year, somebody like there were multiple broken bones. Like I remember seeing a girl get picked up over someone else's head and thrown into the ground and broke her ankle. Another girl had to have her entire face reconstructed because she got hit by a really big ball in her face. And this is what religion school is all about. <laughs> so send your so your kids will be nice and safe at a religion school uh but anyway i don't remember what was the point of that oh yeah because the girl was on top of me and she's beating my face into the ground but i already knew i was gay so joke's on you no you probably just got beat over the head with a bible so much when you were younger that's probably that's probably it yeah anyways we're gonna do an episode today folks don't worry we're getting around to it this is an lgbt podcast lgbtqia plus 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 podcast that's right so we're gonna eventually gonna get there we are oh we didn't even say our names this time this is how out of practice we missed one week and we're (laughs) so out of practice i'm evan and i'm paul and this is your queer story did i just steal that from you nope okay and speaking of queers today, we're going to be covering a part of the LGBTQIA community that is rarely discussed, and that's the asexuals, also known as ACEs. Often when people refer to the queer community, they use the acronym LGBTQ, sometimes LGBTQ+, and occasionally LGBTQIA. The last, letter, the last two letters stand for intersex and asexual as individuals. But representation for these groups is rare and information is scarce or hard to obtain. While more individuals are coming out as asexual and the community is growing, we certainly could all stand to be a little more aware and knowledgeable. Before we discuss today's female badass, we want to take some time to explain asexuality. So the official definition of asexuality is... Asexuality is the lack of sexual attraction to others or low or absent interest in or desire for sexual activity. It may be considered the lack of a sexual orientation or one of the variations thereof alongside heterosexuality, homosexuality, and bisexuality. And pansexuality. And pansexual. All the sexualities. It is important to note that asexuality should not be confused with celibacy. Asexuals are not people who choose to abstain from sex. In fact, many do engage in sexual activity. They simply do not possess an innate desire for sex. Also, asexual and aromantic are two different categories. An aromantic is someone who does not have a romantic attraction to others. Some asexuals are also aromantic. And many asexuals still have romantic desires, just not sexual ones. This is important to understand because many asexuals are often falsely accused of being unable to love or to fall in love. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a big one. Like, yeah, again, celibacy. So someone who's decided that, like a priest, that they're not mm-hmm. going to have sex, that doesn't mean they're not sexual. Right. They've just decided they're not going to have sex for moral or religious reasons or whatever. Right. And we were talking about this um, mm-hmm. before about how difficult it must be because unless you're with another asexual partner... That other person's going to want things, so yeah, I can only imagine like working up the desire, like when you don't desire it, but like mm-hmm. you're trying to maintain this relationship, so like feeling like you're required to do something like that must just be so taxing. Yeah, and a lot of the research when I was reading and and talking to um, different peoples in the community, like a lo- word that kept coming up was broken. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of asexual people grow up feeling broken because they everybody don't... else wants it. Why don't I? Exactly. Want it? What's yeah. wrong with me? Everyone's obsessed with it. Like you go to a party, people pull out a Playboy, which now they just get on the <laughs> porn. Back in our day, um, but you know, people like you know show you a porn video. Uh, and they make jokes about sex. You know, you have people randomly showing you porn videos. If, at, at, when you're younger, you never snuck off no. and saw watch porn with someone. <laughs> When I was younger, I had one naked picture of a woman, and I sold views of the picture in my my middle school. You sold views of it? Yeah, so basically, (laughs) people could pay me a dollar to come look at my my naked picture for like five minutes, and then they could go away. And they did. (laughs) You know that kid selling chips at your school? Evan over here was selling naked pictures. The view of the naked picture. Was Was it a drawing, or was it like a... It was a... um, yeah, it was like a drawing. It was it was really probably just a piece of art. But in our school, everything was so censored. But it was a, it was very pretty. She was a very pretty person. Um, yeah, it was it showed the vagina. So that was what was really the hot ticket because people could and nobody questions why you had this. <laughs> I had gotten it from a book. So yeah, people were like, "Where did you get this?" I like found. But they it weren't the like, "Why do you have a picture of a woman?" And I, I was selling it to the guys. I wasn't selling it to the girls. And the guys you were, were just a true like, entrepreneur. People thought you I started. Was just... <laughs> you started porn before porn was a thing. <laughs> I, yes, you're right. I made a couple bucks. I made a lot. Found a lot of interesting ways to make money in high school, and <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> so the truth is that countless asexuals throughout the centuries have been married, born children, and had happy love lives. Others have used their extra energy to accomplish incredible feats. Because when you're not thinking about sex, I'm sure you can get a lot more done. Exactly. The more terminology and understanding of asexuality is spread, the more that the number of people is sure to grow. To give a little more insight, Evan talked with his friend Rex, who is a non-binary individual that also identifies as asexual. Rex explained their feelings this way. Being asexual to me means that sexual attraction might be infrequent, non-existent, or only happen under specific circumstances, such as having a strong connection with a partner, also known as demisexual. It's not an illness, and there's nothing wrong with being asexual. Many asexual people do have sex, and for a multitude of reasons. It can be a spectrum. It can be a phase of a person's life or a permanent thing. So, um, Rex is an individual that I know in the community and we just talked about it kind of briefly, but I've met with him on different occasions. We've run into each other and they just, uh, you know, they just explain that like, and I think that's important to note that a lot of asexuals are married. So again, this isn't a person who doesn't have any desire to be married. Again, this is just about sex. Mm -hmm. They just don't like you think about when you're a kid, I don't know from as long as I can remember as a young person, I had sexual fantasies, you know, don't look at me like you didn't bitch. I can't, like, the earliest time I remember having those was, like, early, maybe, like, a preteen slash teen, not as a child, though. Oh, I I can remember at least, like, nine or ten. That's because you grew up in the church. (laughs) I don't know. That's the thing. Like, my church, like, was so repressed. All they talked about was sex. Like, you're not supposed to have sex, but to make sure that we didn't have sex, they would just, like, talked about it so much. Yeah, if you're always constantly hearing about it, you're curious. Yeah, Yeah, you're very curious. But I just had these very vivid memories in my mind as a kid, like, with women, but, like, it wasn't that I was with women, but I would imagine women. You know, so, like, so... 
but so an asexual person just does, doesn't have that drive. They just don't have those, and they, you probably don't even realize that everyone has these fantasies until you start to get older, mm-hmm. and people start talking about it, and you're like, "But I just I don't have that." Yeah, you know. So just like with any other orientation or gender, aces, again, the shorthand for asexual, have a spectrum they often use to identify. Some choose to identify as grays or gray A's. Avon Wiki, the Wikipedia for asexuality.org, explains what gray means. People who identify as gray A can include, but are not limited to those who, A, do not normally experience sexual attraction, but do experience it sometimes, B, experience sexual attraction, but a low sex drive, C, experience sexual attraction and drive, but not strongly enough to want to act on them. Or D, people who can enjoy and desire sex, but only under very limited and specific circumstances. Also, uh, we know we're going back and forth between asexual and asexual. I think most people in the community say asexual, but it's kind of like when you... uh, I think it's supposed to be more asexual, but it's like I always say ah, like amoral or ah, whatever, like the lack of something... And I have that really strong Chicago accent where everything's A. Yeah, A. I think it is like atheist or amoral. So it's really asexual. But um, if if I say asexual, that's my own like bad habit kicking in. So, um, but aces is another term that they really like to go by, um, you know. So another identifier in the asexual community used is demisexual. This means a person who does not experience sexual attraction unless they form an emotional connection. It's more commonly seen in, by, but by no means confined, to romantic relationships. The term demisexual, see this, I announce things weird. The term demi, demisexual comes from the orientation being halfway between sexual and, and asexual. Nevertheless, this term does not mean that demisexuals have an incomplete or half sexuality. Nor does it mean that sexual attraction without emotional connection is required for complete sexuality. So again, asexuality is a spectrum and no person will ever fit neatly into one box. However, understanding this orientation can help us better represent and love the aces in our own life. Um, And I think that's a big thing because, again, like you have to look. There's a lot of asexuals through history that have had a real bad rep because, you know, or you just don't understand why your... um, if you're dating an asexual, why they don't want to have sex with you, you can take it personal. Mm-hmm. Or, like, why you're, you know, like, I don't know how many parents, like, they wait for their kid to grow up and want to get married. Right. But their kid has no desire. Right. You know, or they can't navigate the fact that they don't have a desire for sex, but they do have a desire for romance. And I can know? only imagine the impact it had on women in history because mm-hmm. women were expected to just do it. So. Right. Exactly. I, I don't, you know. Anyone and just there's just always this conception. This is what we do. We have sex. That's what we do as a society. That's what we all should. And if you don't want to do that, then you're broken. broken. You're wrong. Something's wrong with you. What do we need to do to fix you? Exactly. What can we prescribe you? What can we? Mm -hmm. How can we make you better? That's right. You just got to find the right person. You know, it goes back to that same tired argument. If you just found the right person, you wouldn't be this way. Right. So, throughout history, asexuals have had a particularly rough time. Asexual women were described as passionless. They were forced into marriages where they were often raped, which was permitted by law in England and the U.S. until the 1990s. 
According to the common law of the crown in 1736, which held for the next 250 years, it stated, A husband cannot be guilty of a rape committed by himself upon his lawful wife, for by their mutual matrimonial consent and contract the wife hath given up herself in this kind to her husband, which she cannot retract. If an asexual woman refused marriage, as we will see in our story, she was most likely disowned and cut off from her family. Yeah. I couldn't believe that it was up until the 1990s that you could legally rape your wife. That is actually... 1990s. I thought it would have at least been like the 60s, like when there right? was a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's... Sexual I'm surprised. Revolt. I mean, it shouldn't have happened then still, but mm, I'm but still. surprised until the 90s it was fine. We were kids. We were watching cartoons. And exactly. And there was some guy in another room raping his wife and being like, nothing you can do about it. Right. You're mine. Right. So, we took a drink of water at the same time. That's how connected we are. <laughs> Discrimination against asexual men wasn't much easier. A man who would not marry or at least consummate his marriage was plagued with rumors of homosexuality and pedophilia. In fact, famed children's author and Peter Pan creator J.M. Barry was accused of having ulterior motives in his love of children. Because he never consummated his marriage with his wife and so-called drove her to the arms of another man... But historians today agree that Barry's lack of interest was most likely attributed to him being asexual. So I don't. How do you marry? How did he get away <laughs> with never consummating his marriage? I mean, I get how you're dating someone and you can get away with not having sex with them, but when you're married to them, what is this like? What are you coming up with every night? Yeah, I don't know. Like, how many headaches do you have? I don't know. People I, come up with things. Yeah, but I. I mean. It's, like I was saying earlier, it's so hard because they want the companionship, but mm-hmm. I just don't, it would be hard being the other person and not feeling like they didn't desire something right. in you. Because we're conditioned to think that way, that like right. the way that we are desired is through sex. Even though we know there's other ways, we're still like... If they don't want me sexually, something's wrong, with, or they don't perceive me as attractive, or they think mm-hmm. horrible, you know, there's so many things that would hurt the other person's mental health and i just like it's a, such a tricky situation but does it hurt their mental i mean i i can see it initially hurting their mental health but really i think it makes us take a, a step back and say like why am i putting this value on like who i am and how i like no um, i agree you, with that 100%. no i know what you're saying yeah you wanting to have sex with me shouldn't make me that shouldn't make me believe less that you think i'm attractive and that you love me but but it that's does. how it's yeah that's how we've been raised yeah so it's a, as a society, we need to take a long, hard look at sex, okay? And the way that we... And not on Pornhub either. No. <laughs> not on there. Yeah. So, um, so just as we'll never know if Lincoln was really gay or if Joan of Arc was actually a transgender man, a lack of vocabulary and understanding forces us to speculate on the orientation of some of history's biggest names. But there are strong clues at times, and the bread trail of ace identifiers leads us right to the feet of Florence Nightingale, this formidable woman who revolutionized nursing and hospital sanitary conditions perplexed those close to her. Yeah, it was a lot of words. (laughs) That was a lot of words. (laughs) So, born on May 12, 1820 in Florence, Italy, the young girl was named after the first thing her parents saw when they opened the window. (laughs) Well, that's really fucked up. I'd be mad as hell. I was born on July 5th, so my mom would have named me, like, Firework. 
Fire. Firework Hobbs. <laughs> well, fire would be your first name, and work would be your middle. Fire it's Fire or... Hobbs. <laughs> and his middle name is Firework Hobbs. Um, so... Which would have been a fitting name, okay? It would have been. Why? Because, because it's very flamboyant. I would... Don't tell me you would be like, my name's Fire. I would. That's That would be a really good name for me. So, um, so she actually wasn't named out of the first thing that they saw of her window, but she was named after her birthplace. Um, another interesting note, both Florence and her sister were both bo- were born during their parents' extended honeymoon. <laughs> they were having a good time, okay? So the Nightingales... They were, they were on a honeymoon so long they had two fucking kids. <laughs> it was a great honeymoon, let me tell you. I bet they had a lot of memories. They were like, let me tell you about my honeymoon. That shit was wild. Got a whole trunk of pictures. <laughs> so the Nightingales were fairly well off, to st- say the least, due to a large inheritance her father received. Why didn't I get one of those? Actually, my father made a lot of meth, and he went to jail for it. So I'm hoping somewhere he buried money. This is definitely not going to happen, but I'm like, maybe my dad like buried money, and I'll find it one I'm day. I'm going to be honest with you, because I love you. He's not going to leave it to you. because You know what? He might, though, because mm-hmm. I don't know who else he'd leave it to. Um. Well, but you're gay. Yeah, well, you know what? He doesn't like that, but... He might. You don't think he's not going to? Well, he's okay with me. Dig it up and buy. He's okay with me. He's just not okay with anyone I date. Oh, okay. It's okay if you're gay. Just Just don't don't act on it. Yeah, yeah. Basically, right. What my parents told me too. They're like, "Honey, we understand you like girls, and we get that. You just don't do it." Yeah, that's basically how my my dad thinks. But Uh everybody else in my family decided fine with it. Besides my dad, but that's not the point of the story. He made a lot of math. He's like a really big criminal. That was not ever successful at being a criminal, but I'm just hoping that it's like, um, what was that show? Breaking Bad? And that there's just like money for me somewhere. I don't know. If it happens, I'll donate a large chunk of it to the queer community, but we'll see. (laughs) If anyone wants to go on a treasure hunt in Indiana, um... Just don't get shot. Yeah. Well, you gotta go through all the obstacles. You gotta, you know, go through the rednecks, uh, backyard, and you gotta be chased by a bunch of police dogs, and there's just a lot of stuff, but then you get to the meth at the end of it, and it's all worth it. And all the racist white men with shotguns, you gotta watch out for those. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. But, um, you know... You'll end up in the meth park eventually. And... It should be a video game. <laughs> It'd be Paul's... terrifying. <laughs> Paul's it would be a VR game. treasure hunt. VR. What? I don't know. Virtual reality. Oh, virtual. Oh god, that's, that's <laughs> scary. No, that's too real. <laughs> it's born. It's buried in Michael Jackson's backyard. <laughs> you got to go through Gary to get to it. <laughs> um, All right. Where are we, where are we? I don't know. <laughs> um, um, okay. Received a lot of Yes. Yes. So they returned to England from their honeymoon in 1821 and settled down in a large estate called Embley Park in Hampshire, New or Hampshire, England. I almost said Hampshire, New England. <laughs> nope, it's just like Hampshire. New Hampshire. It's, yeah, it's New Hampshire, New England. Hampshire. This is a new. This is a real Hampshire. I never knew there was an actual Hampshire. I just thought it was always called New Hampshire. They, uh, everything in New England is just named new, after is something. Is there a York? Yes. Is I that why New York is called New York? Wait, Paul. Everything in England. I'm in New England, it's just named after England because they all came over there and like we could come up with our own what? shit or and hear me out, we could just rename everything over there. What are you looking at? I'm looking up York, England. There's there's York is or it's Dutch. Um, where's the Dutch at? York Holland. I don't know because New York was originally the Dutch. There is a York. I always <laughs> thought like New England makes sense. England, New Hampshire. If that makes sense, New Hampshire. York. I never thought there would. I just thought New York was like. The thing. I didn't know there was an actual York. There's a, there's a new Buffalo, too, which was named after Buffalo. Well, this, everything... My mind is blown today. I've learned so much. <laughs> and it only took you 27 years to get there? 
I'm 25. Not you really. You're not no, 25. But thinks I'm 25. I have him convinced for like the third year in a row that I'm turning. No, the second year in a row that I'm turning 25. Like he's like, when you turn 26, blah blah blah. I'm like, yes, when I do turn 26, because I'm not right now. Because you're, <laughs> you're just gonna keep playing this. I am every year. I'm gonna be like. That's such a gay year. man move. 15 years from now, David's like, well, Paul's about to have his 25th birthday, and everyone's like, David. He's been 25. <laughs> David, that, that queen is not 25. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to put in a little fact that originally for Florence's, I don't remember her father's original last name, but he had to change his last name to Nightingale um, just so that he could get the inheritance. So we almost didn't have Florence Nightingale. We had Florence, I don't know, some, some English name. And the name. machine. Yeah, that was her last name. <laughs> <laughs> William and the Machine. All right, William, you gotta change your last name. Damn it! But I already had the name for my daughter picked out. Now it's gonna be Florence Nightingale. Who the fuck's gonna care about a Florence Nightingale? All right. So Florence had a deep love for learning as a young child and was exceptionally smart. Her father, William, saw this in his youngest and pushed Florence to broaden her studies. She was especially skilled in math and language and could speak six different languages by the Jesus time she was a young teen. Right? Nerd. I tried to learn <laughs> Spanish for like multiple years and yeah. I could not pick it up. I tried. Well, I also had a really religious teacher who was like telling us how, why Sodom was like burned. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I didn't really get along with the teacher. So no shit. <laughs> that probably like is the reason I couldn't learn because yeah. like, I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. I also took Spanish for two years. Couldn't learn a thing. Switched over to German. Also didn't learn a thing. Mm-hmm. Language is not my thing. No. My sister, my that is a missionary in China. She speaks like four languages. But whatever. All right, so uh, Florence could speak Greek, French, German, Italian, Latin, and of course English. We won't even count that one, Florence. Florence and her father grew close, but she often butted heads with her mother. The young girl loved to play and didn't care for ladylike things. Her mother, Frances, was afraid that Florence would grow up without a trace of etiquette. Despite their many trips to London for the social season, Florence was known to be awkward in a crowd and avoided the limelight as much as possible. Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Me last night at a party, we went, or whatever. We You're went like, to, no, this weekend when we went to a... Um, I know uh, how you dance. It's like... No, I wasn't even dancing. I went to um, a Halloween party, and Samantha and I dressed up as Dwight and Angela from The Office. So if you know the character Dwight, it's just a very awkward-looking character. Everyone thought you were in character, but it's actually just it's, you. It's just me. Well, it was just like, I didn't really know many people at this party. So I just sat by the fire with my hair parted down the middle, like watch and these weird glasses on watching the fire and everyone else the whole night looking like the creepy guy off on the side, not talking to anyone because I'm also awkward in a crowd. It was good. You are very awkward in a crowd. I am very awkward in a crowd. <laughs> Sorry. So when Florence turned 18, her family toured Europe and she met Mary Clark. Clark, known as Clarky, was a salon hostess. They got real creative with that nickname. (laughs) (laughs) A salon was a gathering of individuals in the 17th and 18th centuries designed to entertain a group, as well as stimulate and educate each other through a group discussion. The most important aspect of a salon was the host or hostess, and Clarky was the perfect hostess. She was strong, independent, and a staunch feminist. Of course, this was at a time when women's rights were nearly non-existent non-existent mary clark hosted her salon in the center of paris for nearly 40 years and it was a hotbed of intellectualism and old french culture 
Florence Nightingale was enthralled with everything about Clarkie's personality and her audacious salon. She was incapable of boring she was incapable of boring anyone, Florence wrote. But most importantly, Clarkie instilled in Florence the belief that she could be equal to men. So yeah, so um, Florence Nightingale wrote a lot about this and talked about this. So uh, her and her mom didn't get along. And Florence never really, she loved her mother, but she never really had a respect for her mother. Her mother, Mm -hmm. Frances, was very much about like the women's places at home. We are, she was all about the social, like being a socialite and being just like one of those English women that just go around and they eat crumpets and tea all day and, you know, have sex with their husband at night. I don't know. Um, See, that's what I want for my life. <laughs> I know. That is what you want for your life. If only... Right? <laughs> you're only 200 years and one gender too late. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But um, I think you would have hated the 1800s as a man because there would have been a lot of, like, expected of you. Oh, yeah. No, I would have been yeah. like, I'm going to, like, sit in here and eat tea and drink tea. <laughs> like, Paul, you have to come out and shoot skeet with the rest of us. And you're like, mm, but I was having tea. <laughs> <laughs> I would be. You see this glass right here? It's full. So you guys go ahead. I'm going to hang back, okay? <laughs> you go shoot something or whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So um, Clark Key was the first person that Florence, like woman that Florence met that was like, oh my God, this is, this is what I could have. Right. You know, like she was like dreading basically adulthood. And then when she met Clarkie, she was like, okay, I can be a strong woman. I can, women can be equal to men. And mm-hmm. so it's like kind of a turning point for her as a young person. Right. In 1837, at age 17, Florence received her first call from God to be a nurse to the less fortunate. We do not want to question Florence's faith because it does seem she had a strong belief in a God. However... We do want to point out that a call from God was one of the only suitable reasons for a woman to avoid marriage, and even then, a family suffered societal shame. Frances Nightingale was adamant that her daughter would be a prominent wife and mother, and tried desperately to get Florence to fall in love and marry one of her suitors. Because of the strong backlash she faced from her mother, Florence put aside her ideas of nursing and remained at home. But she remained active in her desire to help those in need. She spent much of her time feeding the homeless and helping doctors and nurses willing to go into the poorest of neighborhoods to give medical aid where necessary. So, so incredible. She she was an incredible person. I read of her uh, one of a biography on her several years ago, and this is like where I like kind of like started following Florence Nightingale because she was like her mother was very like like she asked her mom she wanted to go donate like at a local soup kitchen or her mom was like no we're not doing that we don't do that so she snuck out of her house to go donate at the soup kitchen wow like well kids are sneaking off not at this time but like like, you're sneaking off doing drugs florence nightingale's like i'm gonna sneak off and help the poor yeah that's so incredible that's like such a selfless Mm -hmm. you can't be more selfless like Mm -hmm. literally risking getting in trouble to help someone less fortunate exactly like nothing you get no benefit out of this yes Exactly. And this whole time, because I didn't put it in here, her mother's trying to set her up with different suitors. And Florence just never expresses any interest. And I remember even when I read the biography a few years ago, I remember thinking, like, she never even, there's never even, like, a mention that she might be interested in this person. Right. There was one person, one man we'll talk about a little bit later, that she did carry on a long courtship with. But I feel like it was more of a, because she had to. Right. Let me just do this and get it over with kind of situation. Yeah. 
1844, Florence finally stopped trying to appease her mother and announced she would become a nurse. She left... How old was she at this time? Because in 18... Oh, yeah, so... So this is seven years later, so she was like 24. Yeah. So uh, in 1844, um, when she went to become a nurse, she left home a short while later to pursue her career. In 1846, she met Charles and Selena Bracebridge. I think so. <laughs> okay. It's spelled like Bracebridge. Yeah. Who had become lifelong friends of Florence. The couple was also heavily involved in medicine, and the three young people traveled Europe, down to Greece, and eventually wound up in Egypt. During their journey, Florence also met Sidney Herbert, a man responsible for aiding her work years later. In Thebes, so as she meets this group and they're traveling down, so in Thebes, uh, Florence once again stated that God called her. She would write later, God called me in the morning and asked me, would I do good for him alone without reputation? She entered a program to receive official training as a nurse and in 1851 published an anonymous account of her desire to serve the herding. The institution of Kaiserwerth on the Rhine for the practical training of deaconesses, etc. was her first public work, which could have been a better title, Florence. Not That's lie. a lot. <laughs> That's back when books didn't have to be interesting because they weren't competing with TV. You just she wrote need, out whatever you were doing. Yeah, she needed a marketer. She did. She really did. Throughout her life, Florence would write many articles and books. Sadly, because she was a woman, only a few were ever published at all, and only one book was ever widely published. However, her name was spreading, and in 1853, she took a job as superintendent at the Institute for the Care of Sick Gentlewomen in London. Her work was voluntary, and she lived off an allowance from her father of 500 marks a year, which is roughly $40,000 in today's currency. So it was she, Yeah, salary. she was like living about average. Yeah. Like that's like, you know. Nothing, like well, nothing fancy, but nothing. Yeah, that's that would be like middle class, yeah. roughly. Yeah, and also like she lived at the Institute. Um, basically, all of her needs were met. You right, know? yeah. Yeah. So she would only be at this job, though, for one year before being called to the role that would make her a legend. So in 1853, the Crimean War erupted in Europe and the Middle East. The initial cause of the war was over Christian minorities partnering with the Muslim state of the Ottoman Empire and claiming rights to the Holy Land. The Ottoman Empire slash the Turkish Empire was a Muslim state that controlled much of the Middle East, parts of Asia, and North Africa. However, the Russian Empire believed that the Russian Orthodox Church should have rights to the Holy Land in a war erupted. Fucking Christians all the time. Just, this was like, this was a weird one because this is one where the Christians and the Muslims were on the same page. Kind of. Because Russian Orthodox is like in the middle of the two. It's very complicated. Yeah. The whole religious system. But Christians have to have their like, fucking hand in everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, literally, like, sit the fuck back. First Bach. of all, sit the fuck back. This Turkish, the, the, the Holy Land was on the Ottoman Empire's land. Like, that was theirs. Right. And the Russians were like, we're going to come take this because we want this holy land. And the, the Turks are like, no. And uh, the Christians are like, well, actually, we also want to use the, Rus the holy land. So they like partner with them. Like, maybe if we go together, uh, we can defeat the Russians. And then secretly, I think the Christians are like, and then we're going to defeat oh, the Ottomans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is going to all be ours. Absolutely. So. Um, so with the fantastic medical advancement. With the fantastic medical advancements of the 1800s, I'm sure you can imagine how disgusting the middle military hospitals were. Um, yeah, so uh, 1800s, no sanitary conditions. This is where you like get dragged into a military hospital and they just 
like give you two shots of bourbon and then they saw your leg off and then they turn around with that same bloody saw and they saw off the arm of the other guy. Right. And then they take that saw and they just like throw it in the pile, <laughs> let the blood dry up and then they use exactly. it on whoever's next. Yeah, they wipe it on their blood. Use it to apron. cook the, you know, they use it to like cut <laughs> the meat for dinner. Exactly. It just doesn't matter. It's all the same. Right. The germs are not a thing. And uh, the around this time like advancements on germs is coming it like it was it was being brought to attention and I, I i should know but i don't know who like first presented germ theory or you know did i, I watched the documentary on it not too long ago but the name is really? just gone yeah so i mean but this was this like people were already coming around being like germs are real you have to clean your utensils you have to have clean hospitals and doctors at the time are like don't come around and tell us how we should do our cleaning and our utensils and blah 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 we've been doing this for hundreds of years and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about if i remember correctly it had something to do with like um a birthing home for women giving birth uh-huh like because they were having so many deaths and then eventually somebody connected it because they were mm. like not washing between the births and like i don't know i think it had something to do with that i could be completely wrong but that's what's popping in my head yeah so um so all of that is to say that so like so florence gets called down to um she gets gone down and she goes down so florence nightingale goes down um to help with conditions on the battlefield and she begins to report back to uh, the british government about how awful the conditions are so after nightingale sent a plea to the times for the government to help out the british government then commissioned that a prefabricated hospital be built and shipped to the front lines of the Crimean War. Um, during the first winter of Skitari, over 4,077 soldiers died in the hospital. Ten times more soldiers died from illness such as typhus, typhoid, cholera, and dysentery than from battle wounds. With overcrowding, defective sewers, and a lack of ventilation, the Sanitary Commission had to be sent out by the British government to in March of 1855, almost six months after Nightingale had arrived. The commission flushed out the sewers and improved ventilation. Death rates were sharply reduced, but Florence never claimed credit for helping reduce the death rate. So basically, Florence got to the front lines. She says, the sanitary conditions here are awful. You have to help us. The British government sends her a hospital. People are still dying, and she has to petition for the sanitary commission to come out and approve. So she's telling them we need sanitary conditions and the commission's like, I don't know, this is a woman, she's saying we need to be cleaner, but it's a woman, we're gonna have to send someone. So six months it takes them to send someone out there to verify that what Florence Nightingale is telling right. them is true. Because also you have to think like they're like sanitary, that doesn't matter. Like germs yeah. aren't a thing, why does it need to be sanitized? Exactly. So Nightingale still believed that the death rates were due to poor nutrition, lack of supplies, stale air, and overworking of the soldiers. After she returned to Britain and began collecting evidence before the Royal Commission on the health of the army, she came to believe that most of the soldiers at the hospital were killed by poor living conditions. This experience influenced her later career when she advocated sanitary living conditions as of great importance. Consequently, she... Re Consequently, she reduced peacetime deaths in the army and turned her attention to the sanitary design of hospitals and the introduction of sanitation in working class homes. So a lot of things was, um, so like Paul had just said, so initially she, even though she went there and she's like, conditions are horrible and she knew that they needed more things to be cleaner and more hygienic, um, 
she still believed that it was all these other conditions that were really causing the death of soldiers. Right. She didn't believe it was real purely like not purely, but like really how much sanitation uh, played a part. And so she started doing more research. But I do want to say something that's not in here is that she reached out and started mailing letters to doctors and telling them when she started doing her research and it came back that no, it's poor uh, sanitary conditions that are causing all these deaths. She got a lot of pushback from doctors. Oh, I believe it. We're very offended. Who the fuck are you to tell us this? You're nobody. You haven't been practicing medicine. Who are you? What well, are she's you? a woman. She's a female yeah, nurse telling exactly. a male doctor, you're not being clean enough. She ended up taking over that entire facility because the doctors there were giving her so much, pro- so many problems, and but people were, but the soldiers were dying so rapidly that finally, they just took, they, the last doctor like left because he was um, so upset about having to take orders from a woman, mm-hmm. a nurse of all things, and um, and uh, Florence just kind of took over the facility. So during the Crimean War, Nightingale gained the nickname The Lady with the Lamp from a phrase in a report in the Times. She is a ministering angel without any exaggeration in these hospitals. And as her slender form glides quietly along each corridor, every poor fellow's face softens with gratitude at the sight of her. When all the medical officers have retired for the night and silence and darkness have settled down upon those miles of prostrate and sick... Uh, she may be observed alone with a little lamp in her hand, making her solitary rounds. The phrase was further popularized by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in his 1857 poem, Santa Philomena. Santa Philomena. I thought that said LOL. <laughs> oh, you mean the little part right yeah. there? The, this phrase from the Santa Philomena. Though... In that house of misery, a lady with a lamp I see, pass through the glimmering gloom and flit from room to room. So, that's all right, sir. During this time, as Florence is becoming a badass and she's making changes to medicine and revolutionizing sanitary conditions in hospitals, is that, can you hear the beeps in the background? (laughs) Just the microwave. So as Florence is uh, revolutionizing medicine and sanitary conditions in hospitals, she is also being pursued by a few different suitors. The most notable was Richard Monton, was Richard Monton Mills. For nine years, the two carried on a courtship, and he pursued her very happy, very heavily, asking her on multiple occasions to please marry him. And each time, she rejected. So for nine years, he pursued her before finally. Uh, marrying another woman there were a couple of other smaller uh, suitors during this time that also reached out their hand but uh, Florence shut them down real quick Richard seemed to be the only one that hung on for a long time he was he was patient he was like trying to make it happen yeah so in the Crimea war on 29 November 1855 the Nightingale Fund was established for the training of nurses during a public meeting to recognize Nightingale for her work in the war. There was an outpouring of generous donations. Um, Sidney Herbert served as an honorary secretary of the fund, and the Duke of Cambridge was chairman. Nightingale was considered a pioneer in the concept of medical tourism as well, um, based on her 1856 letters describing spas in the Ottoman Empire. She, de- she detailed the health conditions, physical descriptions, dietary information, and other vital details of patients whom she directed there. The, treatments, the treatment there was significantly less expensive than in Switzerland. 
Nightingale wrote Notes on Nursing in 1859. The book served as the cornerstone for the curriculum of the Nightingale School and other nursing schools, though it was written specifically for the education of those nursing at home. Nightingale wrote, Everyday sanitary, everyday sanitary knowledge, or the knowledge of nursing, or in other words, of how to put the, con- the Constitution in such a state as that it will have no disease, or that it can recover from disease, takes a higher place. It is recognized as the knowledge which everyone ought to have, distinct from medical knowledge, which only a profession can have. So, that makes sense, yeah. That was in the the, the um, Notes on Nursing was her most well-known work. That's the one that was uh, Notes on Nursing. Also sold well to the general reading public and is considered a classic introduction to nursing. Nightingale spent the rest of her life promoting and organizing the nursing profession. In the introduction to the 1974 edition, Jesus, that's like over 100 years later, yep. Joan Quixley of the Nightingale School of Nursing wrote, the book was the first of its kind to ever be written. It has appeared at a time when the simple rules of health were only beginning to have been known, when its topics were of vital importance not only for the well-being and recovery of patients, when hospitals were riddled with infection, when nurses were still mainly regarded as ignorant, uneducated persons. The book has inevitably its place in the history of nursing, for it was written by the founder of modern nursing. Yeah, that's an incredible quote. Yeah. If I can get through it without stumbling. <laughs> um. So though Nightingale sometime, is sometimes said to have denied the theory of infection for her entire life, a 2008 biography dis- disagrees, saying that she was simply opposed to a pre- precursor of germ theory known as contagionism. This theory held that diseases could only be transmitted by touch. Therefore, the uh, before the experiments of the mid-1860s by Pasteur and Lister, hardly anyone took germ theory seriously. Even afterwards, many medical practitioners were unconvinced. Um, Bostrich points out that in the early 1880s, Nightingale wrote an article for a textbook in which she advocated strict precautions designed, she said, to kill germs. Nightingale's work served as an inspiration for nurses in the American Civil War. The Union government approached her to, for advice in organizing field medicine. Her ideas inspired the volunteer body of the United States Sanitary Commission. Yeah, so if you know anything about your Civil War history, you know Claire Barton, known as the Angel of the Battlefield during the Civil War. Um, so you drew a lot of her inspiration from Florence Nightingale, who wasn't that much older than her. Um, but yeah, so we're just talking about like germ theory. So basically, so, um, so Fl- Florence Nightingale... It's not to say that she um, didn't embrace germ theory. She just, you know, it wasn't something that had been studied very well. Right. Also, most of her nursing was self-education. She only The program that she enrolled in was only four months long. Yeah. So she did four months in a, a nursing program, and, um, and then the rest of it was all self-taught. But with that little bit of self-taught, she advocated and said, germs are real, they're causing problems, and we are going to continue to lose people in all our hospitals if we don't start cleaning up. Mm-hmm. She literally revolutionized the way that medicine was done, and she is a hero for it. And and along the way, she inspired a lot of people. She did, yeah. She did. So, she revolutionized the medical industry. Um, not the, yeah, she medical she revolutionized the medical industry, mostly nursing. Like she, as it was said, she was the founder of modern nursing, and she never had need for a man. And nope. I, you know, and there's also never like any reason to believe that she had a relationship with a woman either so a lot right. of times people argue that someone like this uh 
What's you a closeted know, homosexual? Was a closeted lesbian, but there's also no there's no letters to other women that would make us think that she was a lesbian. Right. Everybody else in the history, they have something. You know, they were known to be friendly with this woman or always be around this woman or yeah. something, but there's just nothing. There's nothing, no. Like, she was devoted to her career and to her work. And um, one thing with Richard, who was a good friend of hers, the man who'd pursued her for nine years, you know, she talks about how much she appreciated that companionship. And it was hard for her to put, you know, to let it go. But she, you know, she did tell him that she couldn't act. She could not correctly pursue her work if she maintained her relationship with him. Yeah. So again, and like we say, there wasn't a vocabulary then to label someone as asexual. And it was a mm-hmm. shame already that she wasn't getting married. Right. But... To also identify as something other than normal would have just been something yeah. extra on top of... Right. The fact that she was a nurse and not a wife and a mother was enough. And the fact that she's a nurse that defied the men around her right. was enough. And there's so much more to her story. If you can get a uh, biography on Florence Nightingale, I would really encourage you to do so. But... So on August 13th, 1910, at the age of 90, she died. Because she cleaned herself. (laughs) Notice that. Right. Um, She died peacefully in her sleep in her room at 10 South Street, Mayfair, London. The offer of burial in Westminster Abbey was declined by her relatives, and she is buried in the graveyard at St. Margaret's Church in East Wellow, Hampshire, near Embley Park. Where she grew up. Yeah. She left a large body of work... Of work, including several hundred notes that were previously unpublished, a memorial monument to Nightingale was created and is in Florence, Italy. Yeah, it's a very pretty. We'll try to include that. Remember to include that in with our pictures. But that's Florence Nightingale. Yeah, that's and all we have time for. Today. That's all we we have gone too long. We, we were like, you know what? This is probably going to be like forty minutes. But we're just talking about so many things. And um, so yeah, if you have, we don't have a recommended resource. Oh no, we do. Um, Avon org or um. Asexuality, um, where did I have it in my, let me go get it real quick for you. Um, Even Wikipedia um, is one of your resources. If you are asexual, if you have questions about asexuality, um, they seem to be kind of the definitive guide right now. So go check them out. Um, if you can get a book, I can't remember the um, which biography I read, um, but if you can go check out... Um, um, if you can go check out a biography on Florence Nightingale, like literally the woman could have so much, mm-hmm. but, um, we, you know, we just wanted to touch on this topic. We haven't had a chance to do that. Um, but yeah, asexuality.org or even wiki, even Wikipedia, check it out if you have more questions and make sure that you vote on November 6th. Yes. So Evan can stop talking about it. I'll never stop talking about <laughs> it. Once we get done with November 6th, you know what that means? Next year, we're getting ready for the primaries before the presidential election. That's true. Very true. Yep. You have anything you want to say before you leave? No, I'm good. All right, guys. We will talk to you soon. Check out our bonus episode. We love you, Christians. Love you, succulent sapphists. We appreciate you, you little hookers. And stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.